Hello, I'm Daniel Sketchler. And I'm Callum Byrne. We've been friends for more than 10 years, sharing lifelong passions such as film and music. But most importantly, football, through the ups and the downs, the celebration and the heartbreak. However, he's a blue nose. And he's a villain. This is the Second City Podcast. Hello, Dan. Hello, Cal. For real this time. Had a couple of false starts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we weren't sure if we'd started or not. Like, um, yeah, Cal had started a conversation. And I thought, oh, he must have just started the podcast. This feels like an, an intro. And then I just started telling him stuff he knows already. And he's like, oh, we started. What? <laughs> Here for real this time. Um, how are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. It's been a. It's been a good weekend. I was out at a party on Saturday night, so it was nice. very, very fun. And uh, f- yeah, and then football was all right. Yeah, football was all right, I guess. Um, what uh, about yourself? How was your weekend, Dan? It was really good, thank you. It was really good. We, um, as I just told you, when we thought we <laughs> were rolling. Um, uh, yeah, it was good. I went to Blues on Friday night. Um, that was really good. Uh, obviously, this was pre uh there's been a development since which we're going to get into um very shortly very very shortly um but the game was really great and we will get into that more and then i went down to london on saturday because i had tickets for uh london film festival i had tickets for scorsese's new movie it's it's pretty it's uk premiere um and the film was great scorsese was there himself pretty mad um yeah great night all around to be honest um went for a few beers afterwards lovely uh the film's called killers of the flower moon for anyone keep an eye out that in a couple of weeks i think so yeah really good weekend thank you and obviously we met up for a beer on uh thursday we did indeed yeah you were in birmingham so we had a, had a quick one yeah. before you went to the villa game shall we address the elephant in the room yes i think we should so uh we're gonna change up the format a little bit this week because obviously there's a lot of big stuff to cover through throughout mm. the podcast that's happened today so uh coming up on the rest of the pod we'll be talking about villa in the conference league against uh Zerinsky, mostar uh the game against wolves and uh, we'll also talk a little bit about ollie watkins and we'll go through our shirts which we normally open with but you'll have to wait a little bit later on for that because dan we need to talk about should we talk about the timeline of the week of, that you've had as a birmingham city fan and what has happened with the club going on from when we last spoke on the podcast about it is exactly a week ago. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, absolutely. Cause this obviously normally we like react to the games, like sort of in order, but obviously it kind of makes sense to maybe do the blues games as a part of this big, cause obviously the context has kind of changed now, yeah. but yeah. So last Tuesday, um, blues were back in action. We had been on a bit of a bad run. Obviously in our last podcast, we talked about how Norwich just completely outplayed us really. But then we were back were in action. You, were you last... winless in September? Yeah, we didn't win a game in September. Um, I think it was six without a win um, in all competitions. And then we played Huddersfield, though, who had just had Darren Moore go in and had started pretty well. Uh, I think they got a couple of draws against like Ipswich and maybe Coventry, I think. Coventry. Um, but we were excellent on Tuesday night. We beat them 4-1. The Ricky Dembele was genuinely one of the best individual performances I've seen in a long time. Uh, Blues uh, scored two goals. He was absolutely outstanding. Koji Miyoshi was absolutely outstanding as well. Got a goal for himself. Jordan James scored a really good goal as well. So just a really satisfying night. We genuinely, what Norwich did to us, we did to Huddersfield that night. It was really satisfying. I can't remember the last time we scored four goals at home. Maybe <laughs> maybe Leeds at home and we still that, we that, lost. That would have been my four. guess, but I can't yeah, say I keep up. too close an eye on your results. <laughs> no, that's the one that springs to mind. Correct me if I'm wrong, if anyone knows, um, in the comments or whatever. But, um, yeah, so that was really satisfying. But then the big one was Friday night where we had, I would argue, our biggest game of the season. Uh, obviously, we're not in the same division anymore. So, Baggies is our, you know, for me, our biggest derby, our biggest game. Uh, and we won 3-1. And it was just, we were t- we've talked a lot about Friday night games. And I don't know, I'm a big fan of them. Everyone just felt up for it, you know, great atmosphere. The a couple of the blocks in the tilt and lower were open for the first time since wow. COVID, really. Yeah, just felt really positive. And then they did the whole pre-match show, the fireworks going off, and the fireworks were down our end this time as well. Just got everyone up for it and like 
um, I swear the fireworks are synced up to the music, the walkout music as well. I, I'm probably, pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. That's a really I don't know. I, was, I appreciate that, and you know the flamethrowers going off as they walk out and everything. I think that's just so. Um, I've got a lot of time for it. I think so much effort's gone into that sort of match day experience side of it. And then we went one 0 down very early. John Swift scored a pretty. Uh, it took it really well. So it kind of passed it in from outside the box. Then. We got an incredibly lucky penalty. You have seen it, haven't you? <laughs> yes. Well, the two uh, players just both slip over, don't they? And the ref points. Uh, pretty much. Spot. Like he maybe does catch. So like Koji Miyashi's gone into the box, and I think he's tried to cut back, and the Baggies players come in, and he maybe does catch him a little bit, but it's not at all a foul. They both just sort of slip. No one even really appealed for it, um, <laughs> but the ref gave a penalty for some reason. And up to that point, Baggies had been the better team for sure. Um, but Bakuna steps up and scores, so it's 1-1. And then about 10 minutes later, Cody Dramer puts a great ball in and Deion Sanderson gets his head on it, 2-1 before half-time. Just fantastic. And then in the second half, we weren't like great, to be honest. Like Our passing wasn't amazing. And uh, Baggies had an unreal chance. Uh, Furlong, Daniel Furlong had an unreal chance. Like A ball's come into the box and he's met it and he sort of slid and got his right foot on it, and it's somehow curved wide. I don't know how he's missed. Like, well, it's not an easy chance, but it's like it looked for all the world like he was going to take that. Yeah. And then Gary Gardner comes off the bench. Uh, Hogan and Duke link up really well, and we get a free kick when Hogan's fouled right outside the box. And Gary Gardner's just been subbed on, and genuinely, Gary Gardner's stepping up to take the free kick. I don't think anyone was expecting him to smack it top bins. Like, what a just like a genuinely great moment. It was completely unexpected, and it was like the goal that we've talked before about goals that like really seal the win. Yeah. Um, and that was one of them moments. Just a really good night. It is I can remember the last time like I was at a game, and you know we're going into stoppage time, and everyone was just enjoying it. There was no like, you know, oh no, six minutes or something. You know, yeah. hold on for six minutes or six more minutes of this. Like everyone was just enjoying it. Really good game. Beaten baggies four times in a row now, which is mad considering we hadn't beaten them. We didn't beat them from two thousand and six to. April 2022, we didn't beat them. April 2022 was the first time we'd beaten them since 2006, but we've beaten them now four times in a row, which is quite mad. I think it's fair to say we got look, got lucky at times. Pretty even game in reality. At times, Baggies maybe were even the better team. But we, we got lucky and we rode with it and the atmosphere carried it home and I'll, I'll take it all day long. Because Baggies, are a good, they are a good team. I think Corbrand's done something well there. I understand they've got issues of their own, but, uh, you know... It, we took advantage of what luck we had. So I'll take that. Uh, and obviously Gary Gardner's goal, he, for his celebration, he's then ran yeah. to the dugout. To, well, is it, I, I assume isn't it he's... pretty much underneath the corporate boxes as well, isn't it? Uh, no, not so much. Not so much. It's like, no, nah, not really. The boxes are on like, there are some boxes, but they're not. The more corporate ones are like on the copper side, basically. Um, but He's run over to, I assume, Eustace. Looked like that from where I was. All the players have gone over. It's a big huddle. Really great moment. And it really felt like, you know, real sense of unity and really positive and so on. Um, obviously, that celebration is very interesting now. Mm. Because did the players know, of course, this morning, we're recording on Monday, uh, Eustace has been sacked. Yeah. I mean... It's, uh... it's funny. It's funny in a way, Dan, because not what three, four weeks ago we were talking about this exact subject, and kind of talking about how sort of we couldn't really see it happening, or sort of ludicrous it was. Although, you know, maybe we we were you know we did sort of say you know new owners do like to put their own manager in early in their tenure, but they usually wait for a big dip in form before they do that most of the time. So. I mean, some of the reports about Eustace that I've seen today is that he was told before the Huddersfield game. Right, okay. Which would line up with that dip in form. But then obviously you've won back-to-back games in the space of a week and the the picture's yeah. just completely changed, hasn't it? It's why it's dangerous. And like, I assume, obviously we talked about, we did an episode called Wayne Rooney Screams Sexy. We'll yes. get into why in a sec. Uh, that was like, three, four weeks ago now. Yeah. So these rumours have been around for a little while, seem to completely go away, to be honest. Um, and the rumour at the time was that Rangers, Glasgow Rangers had just sacked Michael Beale, and they were apparently looking at to get Eustace in. And the rumour was that Wayne Rooney was going to go and 
was the man being lined up at Blues to replace him. Um, so at the time of recording this, the, so we only know what, as of Monday night, what everyone knows really in the public. And it, it seems very much to be though, like Wayne Rooney is going to be the man coming in. Yeah, it's what Fabrizio yeah. tweeted today, wasn't it? it? Yeah, it seems like, I'd be shocked if it doesn't happen. Um, mad how things changed though, like 24 hours ago, I didn't even, I mean, I'm not on Twitter anymore, so maybe I'm kind of a bit at the loop of these things a little bit. I don't know how obvious it was on there. But um, it felt like last night rumours really started to like pick up a lot. But the thing, we're saying like we've then won two games in a row. It's what's so dangerous to... My point being, we were talking about this weeks ago, so I assume this this has probably been in the pipeline for like a a little while, assuming it all happens. What I... This is why it's so dangerous though to wait. They've clearly thought, wait till the international break. Get a new manager in, and you've got a couple of weeks. Makes sense. But the problem now is we've just won two games and won them. We scored seven goals in two games, two really good wins. Eustace is a really popular figure. In my, uh, I'd say so. I really yeah. like Eustace. Yeah, I think a lot of people do really like him. Has done a really good job at Blues across. Is So we, we said on our very first podcast that Eustace was the first manager in like seven years or something to start two consecutive seasons of Blues. <laughs> so yeah, that is true, but he made it about eight games into his second season <laughs> before he got, got, got sacked. So of course the rumour is Rooney. Um, I think we could do a lot worse than Rooney coming in. I he's complete, For me, he's very unproven as a manager. Obviously yes. an amazing player, brilliant player. But I think he's very unproven, but I equally think He's kind of not done any harm in his career either. He, like, Derby had a pretty impossible job. Gave them at least a fighting chance to maybe step, like the smallest fighting chance to step. I feel like he can't really be judged on that. Um, and then DC United, I believe they've just missed out on, like, the MLS playoffs or something. Obviously, the American game is completely different over here, though. So I feel like it, he's unproven, but he hasn't really, he's not like a, you know, he's not a bad manager coming in. And we're not like, oh my God, I can't believe you're replacing Eustace with this guy. You know, I feel like he, I think really, if he comes in, I think he'll be like young. He's a young manager, hungry. I think he'd be well up for it. And you do hear a lot about when he was at Derby, how he really like galvanised that group. Maybe easier because the pressure was off completely at, at the time. But I think we could do a lot worse. What I don't really get though is the timing of it all, and yeah. that's because this is so similar to 2016 when almost exactly this happened with. It's deja vu, isn't it? But- it is. It's kind of scary how similar it is. We probably had this exact conversation like seven years ago, but replace Eustace and Rooney with Rowett and Zola because that's exactly what happened in 2016. We had Rowett in charge. We were doing well. I think we were around the playoffs. And then we had a new ownership come in and then they've stacked Rowett despite us doing well to get like a name in. And that obviously was a complete disaster. I think we were sixth or seventh when that change was made and Zola left when we were 21st. So that was a huge disaster. I think the big difference is that Rooney is like not Zola. When Zola came in, I don't think anyone was convinced he was a man for the job. I'd agree with that, but Zola had got Watford into the playoffs, playoff final as well, you know, back in the day, <sighs> you know, that famous Troy Deeney goal against Leicester. That That is true. And I suppose as well, it wasn't just maybe Zola's management, like, the board of, or whoever you know whoever was making these decisions at the time also chose to spend huge amounts of money straight away and change the whole playing philosophy mid-season. I'd be very surprised if that happens this time. I appreciate it's not as simple as they're changing the manager. I, I just think they, if they were going to do this, they should have taken the chance to do it. I don't think, in my opinion, Eustace shouldn't have gone. I, I think he should have stayed. He'd done a good job at Blues. But if they were going to do it, they should have done it after that Norwich game like yeah. a week ago. You know, um, and if they wanted Rooney to come in now, uh, who has just left DC United, by the way, so it does look very much like it's going to happen. They should have just got a caretaker in for two games until the international break, then appointed Rooney. So, yeah, that's my... Uh, Norwich like, completely battered us, and we'd had a few bad results. So I think I wouldn't have been really on board with it, but I could have been like, okay, you know, it would have just made more sense. Yeah. Well, it's funny. So when we did... We talked in the episode... Uh... Wayne Rooney screams sexy. There is a clip that we put onto Twitter and we threw it out to Derby fans to have their little say on Wayne Rooney. And we did get a couple of responses. So we had one which says he'll need a good coaching team behind him. 
Another one was Rooney was the face, but Liam Rossini was the brains behind the operation from all accounts. And Liam Rossini is doing a great job at Hull right now, let's not forget. And the other one was guarantee most fans would rave about how good he was under the 21-point season. But many forgot he actually had pressure on him to keep us up during lockdown and nearly took us down. We we needed a miracle last game of the season to keep us up after having one win in 16. Dot, dot, dot. Shit. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) That's interesting. That is interesting. Um, The Rossini point is really interesting as well. Yeah. Because he is doing a really good job at all. I've said to you before, I really, really rate Liam Rossini. If he was coming in, I'd probably be (laughs) like, oh, you know, I'm, good, I'm sad used to going, but Rosinia, man, he, he's a, I really like him. He is, he was doing punditry on Sky for a while. He was an amazing pundit on Sky for the best pun, best pundit on TV. Yeah, level-headed, he's calm, right. knew what he was talking about. Like it kind of shocks me, like how poor some of the pundits are on TV these days. And you got smart people like him, you know, at one in a million. For me, it's gonna go one or two ways. It's either going to be like Zola and Rowett, or it'll be like Nigel Atkins and Pochettino at Southampton. And that was about 2016 as well, something like that, maybe a bit earlier, 2014 mm. maybe. Um, I just think it's a huge gamble. I th- The way that I see it is that you've heard, the new owners have come in. There's been a lot of publicity behind them. They've gained a lot of credit in the bank with the fans. They've, you know, they, they're changing some of the infrastructure in the club. Um the, the board level, they've put some money into the playing staff, they're keeping the flub, uh, fl- keeping the club afloat. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was a bit of a tongue twister. <laughs> um I think you you you've almost been riding the crest of a wave at the start of the season. You're sixth in the league. You know, last year everyone had you as dead certs to go down last year. So 17th yeah. on the face of it doesn't look great, but it was actually a really good achievement. And so you've and then to start the season like this, everyone from the outside will look at it and go you're sixth. Yeah. <laughs> um. I think I think it's just a huge gamble very early on in the tenure of the new owners, where you have got all this credit in the bank with the fan base, but you're sacking the popular manager, kind of for no reason to get your big name manager. If this yeah. backfires, that could effectively ruin. You know, if it if it goes like Zola, for example, you'll have fans outside the stadium at the end of the season saying Wagner out. You know, it it's yeah. It's a huge gamble. It's a huge, huge gamble. It, it also puts. We mentioned like the kind of current setup has put a lot of credit in the bank, and it really has. And I'll stand by. I think you know, despite having a bad September on the pitch, like the atmosphere is way better. You know, the match experience is way better. The signings have been really good for the most part. So there is a lot to be positive about, but this puts them under a lot of scrutiny. All of a sudden, people were, I think, were willing to be patient. I don't think anyone was expecting us to get promoted necessarily this year or get into the playoffs or anything. I've just kind of said I think a top half finish would be like a really that would be a real positive. Top ten would be like you know great. Not being a relegation battle. A hundred percent, yeah. Um, but this puts a lot of pressure on Rooney, or you know, assuming it's him, and it puts a lot of pressure on the board because it kind of has to work, otherwise questions will be asked. And that's exactly what happened with Rowett and Zola. It didn't work at all. And then the only way it was down from there. Like we never, everyone was really positive when they came in in 2016. There and there are huge differences. Like this board have done everything right so far. This is the first thing where it's like, well, you know, people are really questioning it. And obviously, I, I hope it works. Obviously, I'll, I'll back Rooney a hundred percent. Like I, I um, yeah, he's done nothing wrong in this. I assume. Like who knows? Yeah. But um, but he's got you know it's. He's, he's up again. It's unforgiving league. He's, it's going to be. Um, it, he's got a lot to, got to hit the ground running. Otherwise, you know, it could be a tough time for him. That's exactly what happened with Zola. We didn't win. I think it took him like how many games was it? It was. I mean, you only oh, won like two games, didn't <laughs> we you? Won two games. Yeah. yeah One of them was away at Wolves, though. One so... of them was away at Wolves, and that was really good. But quickly, I'll just say, you know, uh, Eustace conducted himself brilliantly at Blues. Um, really likable. Did a good job, like you say, we were absolutely dead certs to go down last season. And he just brought a real unity back. Um, I hope he gets a good job on the back of his time at Blues. I think he definitely deserves one. And it wasn't all smooth sailing. Like, you know, we had rough periods, like, you know, for sure. Let's not, like, pretend, like, oh, it was all, like, it was all great. And, you know, it, like, there were bad, you know, second half of last season was a little underwhelming. But um, 
I hope he gets a good job on the back of it. Uh, someone, I saw someone suggest Republic of Ireland manager because he was the assistant there for a while. And Stephen Kenny is uh, not the man. I'm sorry. <laughs> he's, he's, I don't no. think that is a controversial opinion. No, Stephen, Stephen Kenny's Kenny. not the man. There's <laughs> uh, two people who follow Ireland. Uh, Stephen Kenny is not the man. <laughs> um, I can't believe he's still there. No, he's. Uh, but that's that's hopeless. Uh, by the bio, yeah, yeah. John used something that could be really cool. But I hope he gets a good job. I hope he succeeds. Because um, yeah, John did a really good job at Blues. Uh, so yeah, did not expect to be talking about this on the podcast today. Really, despite all the rumours, I didn't really think it was going to happen. But here we are. Brings us on quite well, nicely to um, what we're wearing. If you would like to go on to that, Carl. Yeah, absolutely. Well. I said when we first jumped on the Zoom call, I'm wearing black because you're in mourning today, Dan. So yeah, well, I, I only wore respectful. I, I wore my one black away kit a couple of weeks ago. I think it's the yeah. only black. Oh, the only one that fits me, doesn't it? Uh, so yeah, I couldn't do that. Uh, so what have you gone for? You've gone for. Uh, let me guess. So this is a black Under Armour away shirt with a nice like claret checkerboarding across the mm. chest. I guess um, almost like a hoop. I would say 16, no, 2017 away, 2017-18 away. You would be correct. Wow, nice. I can imagine Scott Hogan wearing them. Well, this is, well, he did wear the shirt and, yeah. I mean, this this season doesn't, obviously we lost the playoff final this season, um, so there's not too many happy memories really from that season. Oh, I don't there's, know, there's few, I don't know. Well, there is a few actually. We had a good run into the playoffs, but like, this was, I mean, I only went to one game, I think, this season, which was the playoff final. Oh, wow. Um, obviously, we were at uni, so yeah, I was yeah. halfway I, down the other end yeah. of the country and and what have you. But um, it was at a point probably where, like, my disconnect with the club was probably at its highest um, when we had Dr. Tony in charge and Steve Bruce. Um, but we had a few good games this game. I think, you know, we had wins at Sheffield Wednesday and Ipswich in this kit. Um, I always remember Connor Horahan wearing this kit. I don't, I don't really know why. We beat Middlesbrough in the playoff semi-final in this kit. You know why I subliminally maybe remember it? You wore it at Blues. We did. It's one of the only times I've ever seen us wear an away kit at St Andrews, and this was the kit in that incredibly crap nil-nil where Keenan Davis and Jota, yeah, Hotter, Hotter missed a sitter for Blues, oh. and then Keenan Davis hit the crossbar. <laughs> Yeah, that was, they're pretty much the only two things I remember from that game. I remember Hotter yeah. missed all, I was banging line with Hotter when he missed that chance. Like I just couldn't believe it. And then that Keenan Davis shot where it like hit like the underside of the bar and came back out. Yeah. It was like an open goal almost. I was like, oh my god, that terrified me. That was very scary. So, yeah, but um but a nice yeah. kit from under Armour. Yeah. Well it's not nice, but you know, it's a delicate, I know. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh I think you should probably have a pretty easy time guessing mine. Yeah, that's last year's home shirt, isn't it? It is, yes. This is the Blues um, Nike Boil Sports uh, sort of horizontal pattern shirt. Home yeah, shirt, hoops, most recent Blues shirt I've got. Uh, not, uh, well, yeah, I guess technically, yeah. Um, most recent Blues shirt I own. Um, so I couldn't wear a black one because obviously I wore it the other week. So eventually we're going to have to probably start re-wearing them, but um, don't have to do that just yet. Uh, the reason I'm wearing it is because it's owed, an ode to John Eustace, tribute to John Eustace. This is our 2022-23 home shirt. His first kit, uh, you know, first his first season's kit at Blues. Yes, I thought I'd wear that instead. Uh, finished 17th, so that's not great, but as we said earlier, we were rock-solid favourites to go down. And it was just a fun season. The first half of that season was really good. Had some great memories. Um, we beat QPR 2-0 in a night game where we were outstanding. Um, me and our mate Will went to uh, Stoke away and we won 2-1. I think Harley Dean and Hogan scored. It was, it was brilliant away day. We got stuck in Stoke afterwards, which wasn't great. <laughs> um, no, we got stuck in Newcastle under line. That's right. Um, yeah. <laughs> tell, that, tell that story one day. But uh, Then later in the season, we beat West Brom 2-0 on a Friday night game. That was brilliant. Uh, Hannibal had one of the best individual performances I've seen from a Blues player. It was outstanding. Uh, so yeah, you know, good memories from that season. Felt like a, a, the best season for a little while, despite it tailing off. Um, so yeah, I thought I'd wear this one instead uh, as a, a tribute to John. Cool. So that's um, everything going on at Blues. Very eventful week. Uh, but uh, Villa, you've had a very eventful week as well. 
Yeah, so we'll talk about the games in a uh, in a minute. So the big news tonight is that we've had someone uh, leave the club tonight. Um, not in the same dramatic a fashion as John Eustace leaving Blues. Um, but it was one that, a little bit of a shock though, that um, Johan Langer um, has left his role um, at Aston Villa. He, of course, had been our like data guy, our technical, uh, sort of like technical director, I guess. Um, and so he joined in the summer of 2020 and he oversaw the this, this summer signings that saw us bring in Emiliano Martinez, Bertrand Traore, uh, Ross Barkley, Ollie Watkins, that that great summer where pretty much every signing we made seemed to work. I know Barkley was a bit hit and miss, but he did score some really important goals for us that year. Um, and so he's been he's he's a guy that's been really highly regarded uh, Aston Villa since he joined. I know there was a few rocky spells, I guess, with the fans um, in the following summer, following the sale of Jack Grealish and some of the signings that didn't quite work. Like we spoke about the Holy Trinity uh, before. Um, so, yeah, that'd be an interesting one. So he's going to Tottenham Hotspur, who've been desperately, desperately after a technical director for what feels like 12 months or so. Um, so that'll be something to keep an eye on when he goes to Spurs. Um, our new um sort of director of football, so to speak, Monchi, um, is now going to lead Aston Villa's youth development and the international academies with Matthew Kidson taking over as the director of global development, whatever those roles kind of really mean. Um, so maybe it's not a big of a big surprise. Obviously, the signing of Monchi in the summer was, you know, is part of this sort of Unai Emery revolution that's sort of going on behind the scenes. It's, you know, obviously we've lost Christian Perslow as well in the summer because he was sort of moved aside for Chris Heck. So yeah, we'll it's we'll see how it goes. We probably won't really notice it at all. And if we do, it'll probably take a good two or three transfer windows before you really start to see it. So that's something to keep an eye on, really. Um, the other thing as well is Ollie Watkins, speaking of which, did get a new contract or finally signed his new contract um, as well this week. So off the back of the Brighton game, he signed a five-year deal, which is absolutely fantastic news for absolutely everybody connected to Aston Villa Football Club. He had two years left on his current deal. And there had been a few rumours that maybe Arsenal was circling in January and a few others were keeping tabs on him. Um, so to tie him down, even if there is a release clause or even if the club does come in for him, the most important thing is he's got that longer contract. It ret- he retains his value or adds a bit of value on- onto him. So that's the most important thing, really. But, you know, he's absolutely thriving under Unai Emery. Um, he's back in the England squad as well off the back of it. So, you know, full. I'm so happy for him because he's a great player and he's been a huge asset to us over the last three or four seasons. So and I think he's going to have a really big year. I'm pleased that he's back in the England squad. I don't normally like our players getting but being in the England squad because they never play. They get slated on social media. They get slated in the media. Or if they do well, they just get sold because the bigger clubs are all touting them. So, But because I wanted him to sign this contract, I really wanted him to be in this England squad. But I'm only glad he's in it and no one else is in it. I know some of our fans want Ezri Konza, but I want our players on the training ground with Unai Emery. But yeah, international break. Not one to really look forward to. Did you see the stuff about the speaking of the interest break? Did you see what they're doing to the World Cup, Dan? Yeah, so this is um, obviously we're going to go probably go a little bit off topic for us here, but obviously we're <laughs> more of a Blues Villa thing. But uh, we love the World Cup, we love the Euros, you know, they're absolute events for us. We get you know, get together for uh, a lot of it and so on as a group. Um, yeah, so do you want to explain this uh, bizarre news? So the world, so it's the World Cup that's happening in Spain, Portugal, and Morocco, which is already a bit of a crazy combination of countries, anyway. But because Morocco isn't like it's not attached, is it to Spain or Portugal? It's a good couple of hours on a plane away. Okay, fine. It's the only way they could host it. But then the first, because it's the one hundredth anniversary of the World Cup, the first three group games for Uruguay, Paraguay, Brazil. Uh, and, no, I think it's just Uro- no, it's Uruguay, Argen- Paraguay and Argentina. Argentina are all going to be played 
in Uruguay, Paraguay and Argentina, meaning the World Cup is effectively going to be played across six countries on three continents, which is absolutely insane. Crazy. Crazy. Like, it is yeah. insane. Um, yeah, crazy. So, yeah, as you say, it's the 100th anniversary. So they've got to do something. I completely agree with them wanting to do something special. That is not it, though. That's bizarre. No. Just like, host it in South are... America. If they're going to yeah, host like, three, what... gray, three games. So first of all, I think I actually disagree on the Spain, Portugal, Morocco thing. I don't think it needs to be in three countries. I think that is too much. And I think the great thing about it moving is like it's the culture of that country. So I think two countries is like okay. I think we had that one off Euros where it was all over Europe. But because it was a one off, that kind of was its identity, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um and I'd say it but, didn't really work. It was heavy it was heavily affected by COVID, which really didn't help true. it. But true, true. It ne- I mean, I, I've I've been very lucky enough with my line of work to have worked at the last two World Cups and the Euros, and the Euros was a bit dead <laughs> because fair enough, fair enough. There, there was no one there really. I suppose, sense. yeah, I suppose, um, yeah, no, I do because I went to the Euros in France in 2016, and it was like mental. You know, I can imagine if maybe not so much if you were at home, you probably don't feel that, but if you're like in a city and there's only like yeah. a game on, you know, the great thing about being in like Paris was like, you know, there's game like there's you know we're there for that game one day but then there's you know fans there for another game the next day so there's fans from all over the world all over the you know the continent but um so i actually disagree on this that though because i think i think a spain portugal morocco world cup could work because i actually think they maybe do touch so like i'm not sure if they don't touch they're very close to each other anyway so that's because okay. spain is like as south as it gets and morocco is in africa but it's as north as yeah. africa you can get so the travelling, I don't think, is a problem. If the travelling there is going to be way less than at the 2026 World Cup, which is in Canada, yes, the USA, true. and Mexico. So it's going to be way less than that. But I also don't buy this whole, oh, the World Cup. So the World Cup's expanded to 48 teams from the next World Cup. So it's going from 64 games to 104 games. That's going to be insane. 104 games. Even I think that's too much. Yeah. Um, but what... Like, I don't understand this whole, oh, so the World Cup's expanded, so we need to spread it out. And, like, if a country as small as Qatar can host a 32-team World Cup, I find it very hard to believe that, like, <laughs> the US just couldn't host a 48-team World Cup on their own. <laughs> I understand Qatar's, like, one of the richest countries in the world, but even so. But the Uruguay, Paraguay, Argentina thing, I, I don't... Why, Uruguay hosted the World Cup 100 years ago. So why, why Paraguay and Argentina hosting a game? Why have they got to do it? <laughs> The neighbours, they're not like them. They didn't. Paraguay have never hosted a World Cup. Like, why? <laughs> are they? I think they qualified like uh, once, maybe. And all Both six once. of them qualify for this World Cup now because yeah, they're all hosting like, a game. I suppose the only thing is, like, they would all probably qualify anyway, but there's so many teams qualifying. Yeah. But maybe not Paraguay, but even I, I just find it wild. Also, the opening game of the World Cup is like that country's moment to like showcase itself and make a huge statement. So they're going to do that, but then they're going to move to a different continent to play the rest of the tournament. It's really strange. And I'm kind of surprised Spain, Portugal and Morocco seem okay with it. That's probably going to get a choice. But... They probably don't have a choice, do they? Yeah. No. I am glad, though, for Morocco. I believe they are the the least successful country for hosting. Uh, for bid, They've bid like five times to host the World Cup yeah. or something and have never been given it. So at least they're going to get and I think quite a lot of the games are going to be there as well. It's not like, I think Portugal are only hosting it in two cities. A lot of it's going to be in Spain and Morocco. Um, so very strange, very, very strange. Yeah, bizarre. But, but like we talk about as well, like FIFA, the, it's, it, they just make they just make decisions without thinking about it. Like um, obviously the Qatar World Cup is a whole, obviously it was a whole story, but then we said, Years ago, they announced they were changing the World Cup to a 48-team format. And so they were changing it from eight groups of four, which works perfectly, in my opinion, to 16 groups of three was the change. Yeah. And it was just never going to work. Like You couldn't have two games going on in the same group at the same time, which is what makes it so exciting as you go into the last game yeah. of a group. And so they re- it took them like four years to realise this. It took the Qatar World Cup to be so good on the pitch that they realised yeah. they had to change it to... <laughs> Groups of four again. They just make decisions. They just, uh, yeah. uh, they just. Um, I uh, not to they're be not footballing people. Weirdly, <laughs> no, not to be controversial. I don't think their intentions are entirely uh, 
With football at heart, shall we say? No. But, uh, <laughs> no. Anyway, let's talk about a, uh, an organisation which are much more much more in favour with football, which is UEFA. So. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, pinnacle of football. Because uh, um, I really want to talk about the Conference League. Um, sure. Because it's going to be the highlight of the podcast for me. Although, I say this with the most sincerity. I love Aston Villa Football Club to death. But it will be the death of me one day. That bloody football club. <laughs> I'm going to die in a stadium one day because of that club. I just know it's going to happen. Um, but yeah. It was the late, the late show at Villa Park. It was indeed. Um, it's funny as well, because like we were talking in the pub beforehand... Like this was just such a massive game for us. It was the first game home game back in Europe. I didn't go to the Villa game just to clarify. Yeah, no. I go. <laughs> <laughs> no, we just met for a bit. I didn't go to the game. Like you know, yeah. obviously. Um, no, it's fine. Um, obviously, it's a huge game. Like I guess culturally for the club, and but we were also in that situation of it was a must-win game because we've gone and ballsed up the first game in 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 Warsaw, so we had to go and win. And to be fair to to Mostar, they played fantastically. Their game and they were dead unlucky not to take something from the game because they probably deserved to really. Although like we deserved to win the game, but they were really unlucky not to take a point because they defended really really well. They threw their like their bodies on the line, like their lives depended on it. They blocked pretty much every shot. They they just we just couldn't find a way to break them down. They put eleven men behind the ball. If an opportunity to counterattack came their way, they they would try and take it, and they did force a couple of really really good saves out of Emmy Martinez. Um, one of which was offside, one of which wouldn't have been offside, and would have put us a goal down in the first half. So it was a huge save from him. Um, their fans were great in the away end. It was weird because um, down in the I was at the other end of the ground, so you couldn't really hear them being. At the other end of the ground, but you like it was like in like the 30th minute, um, like the the first half was dired, like not a lot had really happened. We were rubbish, and the game's just one of those really dull nil-nils. And I look over to the away end, and the whole place is like doing like a they're bouncing up and down, but in like a sort of Mexican wave almost. It's really oh, weird. Yeah. It was just incredible. Um did many of them travel the I think they took about seven hundred and fifty fans, which is uh, that not is a lot bad for a going. Thursday night, yeah, from Boston. Yeah, and like they're not a massive club either. Um, no, like their ground's not that big at all. Um, and then, like in the sixtieth minute, when like the second half was just one way traffic, it was just just trying to break them down. And then, like we look over, and there's about ten red flares have just been lit up in the away end, and they're just all swinging their scarves and jumping up and down. It's like they got nothing to celebrate; they're just enjoying the away day. It's like incredible. Um, Probably so, same in snobs afterwards, or something. Yeah, there's some great videos of them like rocking up at New Street Station, like oh, just herded by the police, them like making an absolute racket. Like there would have been a few people in New Street like saw this not coming and thinking like what on earth's going on like not understanding that the football's on or something um but yeah i'm sick to death of saying this at the moment especially when we're playing in cup competitions but disjointed teams lead to disjointed performances so can we stop making six changes before every cup game at least because it's costing us badly in this competition it, it costs us in the carabao cup okay fine we move on it cost us in warsaw um in the first group game and it really nearly cost us in this game you know i understand that we wanted to rest the likes of watkins and cash and douglas louise i, I understand that they can't play every game but six and certainly we had two enforced changes don't make six <laughs> um, yeah. i know we, we got to for, wait a, for a must-win game for a must-win game it was just a bit risky um especially when there's a few players in there that just haven't played a lot of football. Um, I thought Clement Longley did quite well. Um, I, you know, he's a player that I don't rate particularly highly and his debut in Warsaw was a bit of a disaster, but he was, he, I thought he played quite well. Um, so maybe there's a bit, there's, there's, there's hope there. Um, 
I don't know whether Yuri Tiedemann's played well or not. Some people seem to think he played really well in the stands. I was incredibly frustrated watching him. Um, he was trying to make things happen, but the amount of times he gave the ball away, it was infuriating. And there was the one that, like, the tip of the iceberg was in, like, the 75th minute or something. We've got a corner, and we've taken it short to Yuri Tielemans, and he's just lost the ball on, like, between the corner and the box. And, like, we've just wasted that opportunity. It's, like, just silly lapses in concentration. Um, but at halftime, we made three changes. We brought Watkins, Louise, and Cash on. And they did change the game. Louise was able to dictate uh, the tempo midfield in a way that Leander Dendonka just can't. Um, and Matty Cash was absolutely excellent when he came on. He, all, he really changed things for us. Um, he gave us a bit of an attacking outlet. Um, uh, and he caught he caused Mostar so many problems, um, but we we just couldn't find a way to score. We had so many chances. I think in the entire game we had twenty five shots, and we just their, their goalkeeper had a blinder. Turns out he used to play for Rapid Vienna back in the day, Dan. Uh, <laughs> and he was employed team. by Rapid Vienna at a time where they knocked us out of uh, the Europa League <laughs> qualifiers Agent back Vienna. in the day. <laughs> So it looked like your we most hated rivals, Birmingham, <laughs> your most hated rivals, Birmingham City, Rapid Vienna, like Wolves. West Brom, right? But yeah, Bertrand Traore came back from injury. He came off. Um, he's he, I quite like Bertrand Traore. He's he's not a world beater, but he's something different, and he is a very frustrating winger because if you show him onto his right foot. You might as well be playing me on the wing because he's he can't do anything. If you but if you so every time he gets the ball and he's coming down the wing, he wants to cut inside. And so a couple of times he could put a couple of crosses in. And I think they worked out, oh, if we just show him onto his right foot, he can't do anything. Um and so it sort of shut that down a little bit. But then in the last minute, he's cut inside. And Matty Cash has gone on the overlap and he's played the ball to him down the over on the overlap then. And all of a sudden this space has really opened up for Matty Cash. He's put a lovely little cross into the box. And John McGinn, the saviour, the saviour, um, scored the winner. Playing at um, left back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and, and and won the game one nil for us. Absolute scenes in Villa Park, especially in the whole end. I like we've I've I've seen some really big goals at Villa Park. That was like the most insane sort of limbs I've had in Villa Park probably since the playoff semi-final against West Brom when Connor Horan since scored the equaliser. Christian Pedersen's goal there in uh, 2018. <laughs> <laughs> 2018 yeah. No, yeah. since Connor Horan, yeah, I don't remember that. Yeah, and like we've had some really big goals there since and but like it was that just sort of relief and and like yeah, it was great. It was absolutely brilliant. But we need to take this competition more seriously because we will not win. We won't get out of the group, let alone let alone try and win the thing if we don't start playing a stronger eleven in this competition. Agreed. Surprising for Emery as well. Emery as well. Seems like the competition we expect them to do really well in. No. Um, seems to be taking a few liberties with it. Yeah, and, and like, I, like we've got a few injuries. Alex Moreno is still not back. Jacob Ramsey got injured again versus Brighton, and then for that game, Diaby and Kamara were out with injury. So that I I understand that we need to make changes because we haven't got the fully fit squad, and obviously when Deer and Mings are out for the season, they're enough, and we are a bit threadbare. So I understand we need to make some changes, and we need to get minutes into the legs of like players like Longley and Dendonka and Tielemans. We won the game ultimately, but and and it was an absolute great experience. But for ninety minutes of it, it was incredibly frustrating. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, but yeah, we but won. you were um, back in action on on the Saturday, yes. on the Sunday, though. Yes, yeah, so we played yesterday in that horrible two o'clock slot um, down at the Custard Bowl, um, otherwise known <laughs> as Molyneux. Um, yeah, I've never been to Molyneux. Uh, mm. Just a weird one. I don't know why. Never been. Play them low, like play them loads. I just I don't know why. Been to Villa, been to West Brom, been to Coventry. Yeah, just never never Wolves. Don't know why. 
Yeah, uh, it was a bit of a frustrating game. I mean, Wolves aren't exactly a free-flowing footballing team. They don't certainly don't play football anywhere near as well as they did when they first came up under Nuno and they had the likes of uh, Pete Jaumatinho and Neves and Diogo Jota, uh, you know. That probably the like their golden age of the of, of our generation almost. Yeah, I, I was expecting a tough game. We don't tend to our, our recent record there is dreadful. Um since we got promoted, we've only won there once, which was the lockdown season. The last time we won there with fans in the stadium was under McLeish when Robbie Keane scored twice in, in that three two win. Um yeah, I remember. so I would have probably taken a point before the game because we don't tend to do too well there. And like you always say, win your home games, take a point in your away games is always a good return. Um, we were probably the better team in at the start of the game. Matty Cash had a really good chance uh, that forced a good save out of Jose Sarr. Um, but we sort of allowed the crowd to get into the game. Um they had a couple of corners and John McGinn was sort of wrestling with Craig Dawson. And like, it was six of one, half a dozen of the other, but all it did was like rile the crowd up. Um, and that obviously mo- like transfers onto the players and they sort of got their tails up and we all of a sudden were on the back foot a little bit. Um, Pedro Neto caused Luca Dean a whole amount of problems for most of the game. Um but we were in at half time at nil nil. It was nothing special. Very stop start game. A lot of fouls. And I was like, well, this is like a typical Unai Emery sort of away performance where we're trying to be defensively solid. We've leaked a lot of goals early on in halves, especially away from home, um, and which we didn't really do. Happy enough with that. But we let in a really poor goal early on ish into the second half. Douglas Louise, who I thought didn't really have a good game. He was very lax. He was. If anything, if anything, he looked a bit tired, which is probably understandable because he's played pretty much every minute. His passing was a bit sloppy, and he gives the uh, like Matty Cash sort of wins the ball back, gives it to Louise, and he loses it. And Wolves just counter us, and in a similar way to how they just countered Manchester City the week before, and they couldn't really live with it. Um, they've crossed the ball over to Neto, who skins Luca Dean. Um, he's got away from Pal Torres as well. Um, and he's put the ball in the box and Huang has been able to just sort of tap it in almost. It's a it's it's a really it's a great counter-attacking goal. It all comes from us losing the ball really high up the pitch and not being able to recover. Um and it was one of them like, for God's sake, here we go. Here's the goal. We'll lose one nil. Um and while and then we've won a free kick pretty much straight from the kickoff near enough. And while the whole place is singing shit on the villa. They didn't quite get to the on the villa because <laughs> the, the the free kicks come in. Ollie Matty Cash has laid it off to Ollie Watkins, who's chipped it over to the far post. And Torres, the lethal striker, Spanish striker. No, Pal Torres has tapped it in. Great finish. <laughs> um and yeah, one one, and we're back in the game. Um and I think that sort of gave us a bit of belief then that we could it was like, oh right we're here we can do this sort of thing um but wolves to be fair they they were very stop start they caused a lot of fouls and we just couldn't really build on the goal to to get the second one and i feel like if we had got that second goal especially would have been quick fire and got them both we'd have been able to cruise like close the game out comfortably um and it looked like the game was just going to coast out to a 1-1 and then just as we're about to add a time mario lamina gets a second yellow he's sent off and all of a sudden we start playing and that is just that's what gave us the impetus really to start playing and we just battered them for 12 minutes we had so many chances um ollie watkins maybe should have had a penalty it probably was but it maybe would have been a bit soft it, i can see why they didn't give it it probably is a penalty um esri conza's had a great chance Unfortunately, it fell to Ezri Konza. He's a centre back. <laughs> um, Zaniolo, I think, had a good um, had a good chance as well, where it was just agonisingly wide. And then with the last kick of the game, Ollie Watkins has hit the post. Like, yeah. and it really thought like we were just going to win it right at the death. We were denied, but 
It's a point on the board. We're fifth in the league. We're averaging two points a game. And we are still in the title race. So... Oh, dear. Embarrass yourself on the podcast. <laughs> Why do it? Tottenham so, are top of the league. Although you are about like four points off. Four yeah. points off, yeah. So... I mean, Leicester won the league. Never say never. They did win the league when all of the top six... Uh, amazing achievement, but all of the top six decided to just have a year off, basically, yeah. that year in, in 2015-16. But very good. I mean, we were going to call... I, I was thinking of calling this episode, like, you know, it's going to be like West Midlands Grand Slam, like, reaction yeah. or something, you know, because it was like, we played West Brom, you played Wolves. Um, Obviously, with the Eustace news, it's all kind of, you know, been... All our plans went out the window, but... um, Yeah, our running order has gone completely yeah, gone crazy. all over the place. It's gone crazy, but um, we'll probably be a bit more back to... Well, obviously, it's the international right now. Um, yes. But we'll probably get a bit more back to normal um, very soon, I would have thought. Yes. So next week, we're planning to do another Second City story. Um, obviously, we did Alex McLeish. Um Three weeks, four weeks ago. Oh, it's more than that. Yeah, it was. Yeah, five, is it more than that? Yeah. Yeah. These international breaks come around so quickly, and we've got another yes. one in November as well. Mm-hmm. Um. So it feels like the season's a bit stop start at the moment. So it always does at this point. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. we're um, yeah, we're going to do another one of these sort of in-depth character profiles on someone who's played for both Blues and Villa. So look forward to that. Um, yeah. But if you ha- if you have enjoyed this week's podcast, do subscribe on whatever platform you're on. Um, leave us a five-star review while you're at it as well our analytics are doing really well actually um we have we can see the countries where people are listening in we've got some dedicated listeners in australia lithuania germany and there's a couple in the states and canada as well so we see you yeah and uh, if you are enjoying us, you, uh, this podcast you can always follow us as well on twitter or, or x uh youtube and tiktok and you can find us with the handle at second city pod that's at Second City Pod, so the number two ND City Pod. Nice. Uh, and then after, yeah, so we'll do that next week and then we'll be a bit more back to normal. But obviously we could be talking about Wayne Rooney's first games at Blues. Um, a side note, something we forgot to mention, uh, the rumour is that Ashley Cole and John O'Shea might be coming in as okay. assistants. You know, my big thought is, and this is a closing thought, can we get them in as players? Yeah. <laughs> Just sign them, put them in the team. Gosh, well, on that note anyway, Carl, um, I'll see you next week. See you next week, Dan. Have a good one. Cheers, dude. See you around.